Thank you so much again just for having me here today. And I'm so excited every time I come here. And I always feel like family, and I hope you know that. And, and really excited now that you have a pastor. Last time I was here, you didn't. Um, so that means uh, they give me more than six days' notice to come and preach. So it's, <laughs> for that, I'm very grateful for. Well, uh, so here uh, this week and next, I'm really excited about what we're going to be learning today and, and next week. And uh, this week, we're going to look at what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ, uh, looking at John 15. And then next week, we'll, using that same uh, the passage in John uh, 15, we're going to look at what it looks like to have a relationship with others um, and uh, how we apply that to our life. And so, if you'd like to follow along with me as I read John 15, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. You can go ahead and flip there. It's the, uh, the fourth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus says this, I am, the, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. We are grateful that this teaching has not been lost through time, but carried down for us. How do we understand what this means, God, without you? We ask that you would illuminate this passage, that you would make sense of it to us, that the words that come out of my mouth would be comprehensible, and that they would fall on ears and hearts that are pleasing to you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember having a conversation not long ago uh, with a good friend of mine. He's actually... He's a confessed Christian. He is actually in seminary. He's a seminary student, wants to be a pastor. And we were just talking about matters of faith, um, what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And in the conversation, many times it was a phrase that I was using. And every time I would say this phrase, I could tell he wasn't quite sure exactly what I meant by it. You know, he kind of, I could see that confused look in his eyes. And after a while, I realized that I never defined what this meant, and maybe he doesn't really understand what it means. And so the phrase I kept using was relationship with Jesus, relationship with Jesus. And I kept using that, and I could tell something was missing. He didn't understand exactly what that meant. 
And he asked me at the end of this conversation, he said, okay, what does a relationship with Jesus look like? And I felt a couple things right there. I felt extremely sad because I realized that this guy, I don't know if he, he never really saw his faith in that aspect. This, his religion, his Christianity, his, this uh, knowledge of who Jesus was and what the Bible says, he never understood it as a relationship. But then I also felt very understanding. I can see where, exactly where he comes from. So much that we do as Christians is not a relationship at all. But rather a mere membership to something or a subscription to a, a set list of rules that we should abide by. You might be a Christian if you believe these 20 things. Or follow these 10 rules or have these five bumper stickers. And usually we see our Christianity as through the lens of these things. What do we believe? What do we do? What do we say? What don't we do or say? And a relationship, that's not a relationship at all. John, who wrote this passage for us today, was a disciple of Jesus, one of his closest disciples in that inner circle. And he recorded this journey with Jesus. And we have it in the Gospel of John. And he recorded this conversation that he had with Jesus. And in his book, as he records many of these conversations, so much of what John does is he, he sees how Jesus takes these um, physical realities, these physical aspects, and uses them to teach about spiritual truths. Jesus would also often use these physical things to explain what it looked like to have a relationship with him. He talks about light in John chapter 1 to describe the presence of God in our lives. He talks about wind to discuss the Holy Spirit. He talks about water to discuss the Holy Spirit indwelling a Christian and giving them life, like running water. Jesus talks about food being the will of God. These are the things that he must do. And he gets nourishment from glorifying God, from doing God's will. He talks about bread to describe himself. Jesus says he's the bread of life. And he says that he's the good shepherd to talk about how he leads his people in care and love and friendship. And in our passage today, he talks about the vine. He says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And what Jesus here is doing is he's talking about what a relationship with him looks like. What does it take to have a relationship with him? What are its symptoms? What is it not? What are the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus? What are the warnings if we don't have a relationship with Jesus? How can we tell if our life is in relationship with Jesus? And so we begin our attention where Christ begins his attention in John 15, chapter 1. He brings it right back to himself. Jesus says, the basis of our growth is himself. Verse 1 and 2, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear, bear more fruit. Everything that follows this discourse with Jesus, Jesus establishes his understanding, verse 1. He is the source of our growth. Every day forward for the disciples will be lived out in light of this fact that their life will not be based on what they're capable of, but their life will be based on being connected to him. No fruit can, no, no fruit can be better than the vine that gives it nourishment. The vine must be Christ. And this is what he's establishing. 
So he talks about fruit. That's another aspect. He talks about himself being the true vine, and he talks about fruit. So what does that mean? What does it look like to have fruit in our lives? When we talk about fruit or Christian fruit, it, it, it means generally it can mean just the Christian character, the Christian expression of the, the characteristics of Christ himself, the nature of God. It can mean specific things like Paul talks about in Galatians 5, that the fruit of the, 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 fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul even gets down to specific fruits. It's conviction of sin and repentance in our life. It's, it's affection towards Christ and for others. Another aspect of growth in our relationship with Christ is pruning. That he says here in just these first couple verses, he says, pruning happens at the hand of God. And in the midst of this metaphor, this great metaphor of Jesus saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches, we also find this deep, wonderful, gracious theology this teaching of what is going on here, that God is involved in our lives, that God's hand is not far off, but involved in everything that we do. That as we grow, this is God working personally in our lives. The vine dresser is really the gardener, the one who tends the the vine, tends the garden. He goes in there and and cleans out the weeds and clips the, the branches to have them prune. This is a divine hand of God in our lives. I recently had a, an altercation. Well, I'll make it nicer than that. A conversation <laughs> with uh, HOA, Homeowner Association. <laughs> Those are good. And uh, what happened was I was three months in a row I got a letter from them. And the third letter was a certified mail letter. I had a sign for it. And it said nothing different than the previous two. Trim your tree. Right? And I was like, you paid five bucks for me to get this letter just to tell me to trim my tree. And every, the previous two letters, though, I got, I, I didn't see anything wrong. I, nothing, I, I go out there, I take care of my yard, I trim things, I pull up the weeds. Um, and I kept getting these letters. And so I called HOA and I said, can you send somebody out here, in, the, in this very nice voice, of course, I said, could you send somebody out here and I want someone to come on my, my, to my house and actually physically point out what you mean and what needs to be done because I don't see what's going on here. So long story short, or long story longer, I guess, he, he comes out to my house and a uh, really nice guy. And he says, well, this tree, the branches are, are hanging over the sidewalk and, uh, and you need to trim those back. And I said, oh, okay, I, I didn't know that was on my property. And they said, well, it wasn't, but now we're deciding that it is and you need to take care of it. I was like, that makes sense. And so... I said, well, while you're here, now this guy was like a, uh, like a horticulturist, or I don't know, somebody, like a, he's a pro at, at, at shrubs. And, uh, and I said, well, I had a concern. I have this other tree in my front yard, and it is the smallest tree on the block. And frankly, it's creating a lot of insecurity in my life. <laughs> and I was like, why is this tree? I've been here almost longer than, than most people, if anything, just as long as everybody else, and this tree won't grow. And so I said, while you're here, can you show me what I can do to make this tree healthier? And he walks over to the tree. It's about eight feet tall, and it, you know, and, and it should be a lot bigger. Eight feet tall, and he walks over to it, and he reaches out his hand right in the middle, so four feet, you know, four feet from the bottom, four from the top. He just grabs the trunk right in the middle. And he says, see where my hand is? And I say, yeah. He said, every branch below it, you've got to cut off. It's got to go. I did one of these. 
And then he looks at me, knowing that, you know, seeing that I'm shocked, and he says, eventually. <laughs> he says, not all at once. Don't cut it off because that will just will look ridiculous and the tree will die. He says, but if you want your tree to get healthy, all of these, tree, all of these branches below it are, are, are really robbing the nutrition for the whole tree. Obviously, maybe you, if, this is a, just a common, normal, hey, prune your tree and it gets healthier and it bears fruit and things like that. Um, I didn't know any of this, and so he helped me. And he even showed me there were a couple branches that were actually going vertical, that they were coming off of, of another branch and going straight up. And he says, you see these that are going straight up? These, if you leave them that way, they will try to be a, a whole other trunk. And you don't want that. You need to have one main trunk. And everything else has to come from that. So all the ones that are going vertical, cut them out. What Jesus is getting to when he's talking about pruning and he's talking about fruit, he's saying that there are things in our life that will rob us of that necessary nutrition for our spiritual health. There are things in our life that are causing decay and that are rotting. And if, just, if we just let them go the way they're going, they will destroy us. They'll create death all the way through. What does it mean when God prunes us? These are things that are hindering our relationship with God and our spiritual health. He brings things into our life. To ri- God prunes us and he, he brings his hand into our life to rid us of that sin and the things that are, creating spiritual, things that are not creating spiritual fruit. And this pruning looks different for all of us, doesn't it? What God uses to prune my life may be very different than how he prunes your life. Take a second. Maybe you're even thinking about right now. What are some things that God uses in your life to prune you? I'm not going anywhere until you say something. (laughs) What does God use? Disappointment? Pain? Humiliation? Frustration? Anxiety? Sorrow, grief. Now, these, are no, these aren't good words. These are bad words. These are, these are not, not, we don't want these words in our life. We don't want these things to happen in our life. Conviction of sin, where we know we did something wrong and we feel guilty about it. Conflict with family or friends. Failure. Have you ever failed at something? Jesus says to his disciples here in verse 3, he says, Already you're clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. These, the word of God is a sword, and not only any sword, but it's a double-edged sword that is sharper than any other sword. And when it comes into our life, it cuts us open. And it finds out what's rotten in there. And it cuts it out. Isn't it our natural instinct to avoid that? That survival instinct or just that the, the, the desire that we have just to be comfortable and without pain? Our natural instinct is to avoid pain at all costs. None of us, if left to ourselves, would seek out pain even if it helps us. I was talking with a friend even this last week, and he was talking about his son, about 
just the thought of him thinking of his son in pain and suffering is, un- is unbearable. We wouldn't bring that on ourselves or anybody else for that matter. There's something here that we learn about God, that he knows what is best for us. And by his hand, he allows pruning in our life so that we can bear fruit and have joy. And God doesn't come in and place his hand in the middle of our life and say, Everything, everything's got to go and lop it all off at once. Because he knows that that'll kill us. He doesn't want to drop us on, his, on our head. He's a loving father. He takes care of us. But he prunes us and he cuts it back slowly. We can't handle if, if If right now, everything that was wrong in your life, God came in and just cut everything out and changed you, you physically or emotionally could not bear it. But he prunes us back slowly. And eventually we we step back and look at that tree and say, wow, all those things are gone, and look at how fruitful it is. Remember a time someone close to you, or maybe yourself, you've had this conversation, or all of us are aware of this kind of conversation. You, You sit with somebody, and they're on the back end of intense grief and sorrow or pain in their life. And they've walked through it with God. And what do they say at the end of this? They say, if I could go back and do it over, I wouldn't change it. But then what do they say? But I wouldn't wish it on anybody else either. I wouldn't welcome that. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I wouldn't change it. Isn't that bizarre? Why is that? Because it was healthy. That pain was good. That pain was God's pruning. And we know that we would resist that at all costs. But God knows better for us. Why is that? Jesus says in verse 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. He says, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is that, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We are useless when it comes to being effective and healthy spiritually. Decay sets in in our life and we begin to rot. This rot takes hold of every aspect of our life and causes death. But a relationship with Christ will always and increasingly chip away at that decay and conform us to the image of Christ. Because abiding in Christ come all fruits. From abiding in Christ come all fruits. And from not abiding in Christ comes decay and rot and death and uh, being not effective or being unfruitful. And it manifests itself in ways of anger and jealousy and bitterness and hate and lust and a lack of self-control. You could add so many more sins in there. Abiding in Christ is the answer to how you and I deal with the struggles in our life. Abiding in Christ is the answer to how we deal with our sin. Why doesn't the Bible give us a a, a how-to for, if you're dealing with bitterness, here's how you overcome that bitterness. If you're dealing with, with lust, how do you deal with that lust? If you're dealing with anger, how do you deal with the anger? He doesn't have that because those are not the heart of our sin. I'm struggling with lust. No, you're not. You're struggling with abiding in Jesus. 
I'm struggling with bitterness. No, you're struggling with abiding in Jesus. I'm not getting along with my wife. No, you're not abiding with Jesus. I'm struggling with being a good person. No, you're struggling with abiding in Jesus. You could add any struggle in there that you want. You could add any struggle in there, and that is not the root of your sin. The root of your sin is not abiding in Jesus. So we need to guard against focusing so intently on these individual sins and just our whole day is focused on how do I situate my life and my circumstances to avoid that sin. That takes us off of the real focus, which is Christ. Jesus says, you can't do anything unless you abide in me. That should be our go-to. That's our, that's our number one step right there, is checking our hearts to see if we're abiding in Jesus. If you're connected to Christ, you will always increasingly become more, more like Christ. If we are abiding in Christ, we will become more and more like him, and he's perfect. So if we're abiding more and more uh, in Christ, we will become more and more changed into his image, and eventually he will perfect us. He's the genuine vine, and his church will be fruitful. This is a guarantee. This is a commandment. This is a promise to us. We will be fruitful. So he prunes us and nourishes us and waters us with his word. In verse 6, he goes on, and we... It'd be, it'd be, of course, it'd be nice to skip over this verse, but we need to see what does it look like if we don't abide in Christ. See, it's our tendency to avoid pain, right? But Jesus confronts it head on. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is talking about people who don't know him. He's talking about people who do not love him or follow his commands or trust in him. Fruitfulness is normal for someone who has a relationship with Jesus. Absolute fruitlessness is a symptom, symptom number one, that we might not have a relationship with Jesus. A preacher that I like to listen to and read from, he's, he's a Presbyterian preacher as well, Tim Keller. He actually provided, uh, there's a little bit at the front of the bulletin on a reflection that he wrote. And he has some insights into this passage. He says, the fruit on the branch that doesn't give fruit so the fruit on the branch does not give the, the fruit on the branch does not give the branch fruit. But the fruit is evidence that that branch is alive. You know, there are times in, in the winter where I, I don't know if my plants are alive or dead. And I've made a mistake before, and what do I do? Like, oh, it's dead, and I rip it up. And I rip it up, and the roots are like all healthy and watery, and like, I was like, ugh. And so I've learned to just wait. And there's a season of winter where the, everything looks dead, but then the spring comes and it's, it bears fruit. It's, it's alive. And so Tim Keller, what he says is a lack of fruit doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. You may be in a, ser- a season of winter. Don't be discouraged because you might be in that season. But if you're a person who says, wow, I've never seen this fruit in my life. I've never seen a relationship with Christ where I relied on him for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, for growth. It's good for us to reflect on that and look into our hearts and say, have I ever had that? Has there ever been any fruit? 
Has there ever been any reliance on Jesus? It's a good time for all of us to look into our hearts. There are countless things in our lives offering to give us satisfaction and joy. And Jesus says, I am the only one who can deliver on that promise. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. He doesn't say, I'm the only vine. He says, I'm the true vine. There are a lot of things that we could go to to find encouragement and nourishment and satisfaction. But Jesus is the only one who could deliver on that promise. He's the only one who can give us forgiveness and love that we need. He's the only one who's going to look out for our interests when he prunes us. When he allows pain in our life, he's the only one we can trust that that is going to be okay. What does it mean to abide in Christ? He goes into that. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? He never really defines exactly what that looks like, but it's good for us to look into that. And that can look differently for you and I as well. Where pruning can look different, so can abiding. It could look like obedience and prayer, seeking Him, searching our hearts for things that are in there that are, that are causing unhealth and decay in our life. Patience and forbearance and diligence. It means for us taking a time of solitude and silence in our life so that we can reflect on Christ and what He's done for us. He says, my words remain in you. If my words remain in you, kind of like eating God's words and making it a part of our life, taking it in and chewing on it and digesting it and seeing the world through God's words. We don't read the Bible for inspiration. It's not a good book that teaches us how to be good people. It is for our nourishment and for our health and for our abiding in Jesus. And it's from his words that we see our whole existence. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you're already clean because the words I spoke to you. Because these words took root in you. And they saved you because you believe in them. And from these words, you will see the whole life. We reflect on them and meditate on them. And we keep going in verse 7 here. Jesus now changes from abiding and fruit, and he now reflects on prayer. He turns to prayer saying that abiding in him will affect our prayer life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Have you ever been confused by that concept in Scripture? Ask whatever you want in my name and it will happen. Come on. (laughs) Seriously? The more we abide, the more we will talk with God in prayer. This isn't just a lesson on prayer that he's given us. It's for all of us to think, do we have anxiety and do we want peace? Do we have lust and we want purity? Do we have bitterness and we want love? Are any of us here who have pride and want humility? 
do we have impatience and we want gentleness with others? Jesus says, ask for those things. Because our union with Christ and our abiding with him will cause fruitfulness in our life. But he gives a condition of this kind of prayer, Jesus does. He says, we have to do this for his glory. We must pray for his glory and not ours. When we abide in Christ and talk to him regularly, we bear fruit and God is glorified. This is hard for us to do again. It's hard for us to cut into our life and cause pain. It's hard for us to live for God's glory because naturally we seek our own glory. Naturally, when we pray, we pray for things that will benefit us. For many, the church is just an institution of self-improvement. That as we go and we talk to God and read the scriptures, we'll become better people. And if we become better people, then the world is better and all is well. Sometimes when making decisions, people will ask, when it's kind of a hard decision, they say, what is your heart telling you? Well, my heart's telling me to look out for numero uno. My heart's telling me to do what is good for me. See, this is seeking our own glory. This is selfish. And I understand that there's a hesitancy to direct our whole lives and efforts to be directed for God's glory. I understand that that's hard. Like, you're telling me that everything I do and say and feel and, and, and desire and everything I'm passionate about and everything that I want has to be for God? Well, what about me? Like, where do I fit into this picture? I don't want to do that because I don't want to lose out. What's in it for me? And it's okay if you're asking that in this passage. What is in it for me? If everything I do has to be for God, what do I get? Jesus answers that in verse 11. What's in it for me? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We get joy. Well, that's okay, I guess. No, that's what we all want. That's what everybody wants in life. Joy, happiness, satisfaction in what they're doing. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give you joy, but he says, your joy is going to be full. It's going to be abundant. To enjoy relationships with our family and our friends, to find satisfaction in our work. Jesus says, this is what you get. Because from your joy, from my glory, you get joy. You don't miss out. You get You get the best. John Piper, another pastor and author, who I I like what he says and what he writes, and he believes this concept of God's glory is very highly connected to our joy, to the point where they are inseparable expressions. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, do I glorify God and then I get joy? Or do I feel joyful when I glorify God? And does God, is he glorified when he sees me enjoying him? Have I confused you? What is it? Those are connected expressions. This is a relationship 
with Jesus. We don't miss out by God being glorified because he's chosen to glorify himself by giving us joy and extending sinners like you and me forgiveness and happiness and satisfaction and relationship with him. I think we can now explain what a relationship with Christ looks like. We go back to that relationship with my friend. and What is a relationship? We use that word. We even throw it around at times. Relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is a bond of union and peace and friendship with Him. It's joy from knowing that the fruit in our lives will glorify Him. Do you know, do you have that mindset that as you obey Christ, God is being glorified in your choices? That's what it feels like to have a relationship with Jesus. That's why I do those things, because I have an affection for knowing that God is glorified in my life. A relationship looks like in prayer, prayer is not self-seeking but focused on us being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's when we pray, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we talk more and more with him. And we ask things like this, Jesus, make me more like you. And we say, I want the things that I want to be the things that you want. And when we start aligning aligning the things that we want with the things that God wants, that's fruit. That's an expression of a relationship with Jesus. When we start asking for things that are contrary to what God wants, that is fruitlessness and selfishness. A relationship is a growing consistency and closeness with Christ that results in confidence and humble prayers. More and more as we grow in that relationship, we spend more time talking to God and we have more confidence knowing that we can talk with God and our prayers are not weak and scared and hesitant, but they're more and more confident and faithful. That we know when we say, God, this is what I want to happen and if it doesn't happen, I'm okay with that because I know you're looking out for me and you're not going to leave me. A prayer, a life a relationship with Jesus is love for others. And next week, we're going to spend the morning talking about that. Also, an approach to pain and sorrow and disappointment that is not viewed as random and coincidental and misfortune, but it's viewed as from the loving hand of God, who's pruning us and changing us to be like Him. That is fruit. And I know how easy it is when sorrow and pain and and suffering comes into our life and we say, like, how could this happen? Why would this happen? Where was God in all this? The closer that we find ourselves with Jesus, the more we will see those times and we will see, this is causing me so much pain and I don't understand it, but I know that God is here and he will be glorified and I will find joy. It's assurance knowing that Christ's love is permanent in our life. This is a good time for reflection for you and I. 
Are you abiding in Christ? Is there fruit in your life? Are you in a season of winter? And how do you get out of that season of winter? We say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I want to abide in you. We find that solitude and that time to confess how we have neglected to abide in him and we accept his mercy to allow us to be his friend and to be forgiven. What would it look like for you to abide in your life right now, today, tomorrow? What would it look like to not struggle with those sins that you're struggling with and take your focus off of those particular things in your life and to transform your, your, your mindset to my sin is that I have not abided in Christ. Maybe you are here and you're saying, I have never had that relationship with Jesus. Then take Jesus. Because His hand is in your life. And you don't have to be worried about a life disconnected and a life of frustration and a life of trying to work on your sins with no effect and no victory. Jesus is teaching his disciples here moments, literally hours before he's crucified. And they're going to look back on this and they're going to say, We didn't know it, but he knew it. He was about to die for our sins so that we could abide in him. And that's what I offer to you. That Jesus died for your sins so that you could abide in him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we need you so much. Every day as we when we read your scripture and hear your words, we realize that we need you more than we ever thought. Thank you for dying for our sins and raising from the dead so that we can know you. You're the true vine and we can't do anything without you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiving us sinners. Thank you for being patient with us. Even when we continue to sin and confess that we abide in you, we continue to do wrong. Help us to receive your pruning with humble and yielding hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.